Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside Dilu. Great to be here, Chris. We're, we're back for another episode, another uh, another K-State win uh, here, moving the record to 2-1 and one as, as uh, K-State gets a nice uh, victory, 41-17 for the UTSA Roadrunners. That's pretty close. What did you predict last week? You were... Uh... I gave uh, I gave K State forty two last week. Not bad. Not bad. I, I nailed uh, UTSA. I have a score forty two seventeen, uh, an easy cover for K State. So easy I think, cover, huh? I think that's a uh, I think that's another um, cup of joe for me, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, today we're going to be looking at uh, reviewing that forty one uh, seventeen victory over uh, the UTSA Roadrunners. Uh, as well as the conference opener against uh, West Virginia uh, here in Morgantown this Saturday at 2.30 kickoff on ESPN. Uh, will be a tough atmosphere if K-State gets out on the road for the first time this season. Uh, we'll go into that a little bit later, but uh, we're first going to start off with uh, looking back against UTSA. And this was the first game all season where uh, the Wildcats uh, looked uh, an, like an acceptable product on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, it was the first game that... Things actually went positively for the Wildcat offense because, you know, against South Dakota, it was a complete disaster for all but really one drive. Uh, Mississippi State, you could say the same thing. Um, But on Saturday, it was a relatively complete performance. I mean, you saw Skylar Thompson, who was officially given the reins, I think, against Mississippi State. You saw him air it out all over the field. Zuber had up over 100 yards. Uh, Jordy had a couple nice, uh, one fantastic touchdown grab uh, where he caught it in the north end zone there and slipped on the grate. Um, But uh, you saw the tight end make a catch, which is very exciting. It was almost like I I remember, uh, you know, watching that game on, on the replay and, and saying, "Oh, I think I just saw Haley's comment." Yeah, you know, it's, once it's in a, a lifetime, once in a lifetime type thing. There, so now, um, still, still some concerns on the offensive side. I think specifically with the running game, that really hasn't gelled yet. Uh, I was hoping that we'd put up somewhere north of 200 yards against the Roadrunners, but that didn't happen. And so here we are after three games, still. Uh, not really running the ball in a positive, dominant way like we all were hoping we would before the season. But uh, all things considered, uh, after our first two performances, this was certainly uh, one that could give K-State fans some hope and optimism heading into conference play. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely the, the vibe I took from the game. Uh, K-State did, uh, you know, had some balance too, uh, especially – uh, Skylar Thompson, I thought, uh, played his best game uh, of the season. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, 13 of 18 passing, 213 yards, two touchdowns. He did fumble the ball as as uh, the Roadrunners were able to get some pressure on him, and uh, he it, it forced a fumble on him. Uh, but Skylar Thompson also led K-State in rushing uh, with 66 yards and, and a really nice uh, 27-yard touchdown run where he made a man miss. Oh, man, yeah. Shades of uh, – I saw that and I said, I didn't know we had Eric Crouch on our team. And it, it, we talked about how – maybe this was off mic, but we've talked about how Skylar really only has one move, and that's where he 
juts straight ahead and then bows it out really far to the outside. Uh, that's where that's his the yeah, Skyler Thompson move. That's his kind of yeah go to absolutely. And all the every time it was like, when is he gonna make that particular move? But on Saturday in that long uh, touchdown running ahead, he did the opposite. See, he faked to the outside. And cut it inside and went straight ahead. And the the defender must they must have scouted him for that because the second he did that, it blew the defender's mind, tilted him over, and Skyler could basically waltz into the end zone. Yeah, I think uh, outside of the Oklahoma State game last year, this was this was Skyler Thompson's best you know full game performance. Uh, obviously, the comeback against uh, Texas Tech. And uh, the comeback against Iowa State were bright moments. Uh, but in terms of a full game, I was very impressed with how he played. Uh, threw the ball with some great touch. Had a nice, uh, obviously we had mentioned the, uh, the nice touchdown pass he had to uh, Dalton Schoen, a.k.a. Jordy. And, Who? Yeah, jo- <laughs> uh, Jordy Nelson there. And uh, then uh, Zach Reuter had a nice uh, catch on a, on a perfectly thrown ball by, uh, by Schuyler to start, uh, to start the opening drive. Uh, getting down there and, and, and getting right into UTSA territory right off the bat. So I thought that was a great uh, great sign uh, from the quarterback, uh, Skylar Thompson there. Uh, Alex Dalton also had a nice uh, throw on a 72-yard touchdown pass to Isaiah Zuber. I would say that was probably the best pass we've seen him make in some time. Uh, you have any disagreement with that? No, I mean, I think it really, I think that was one of the best passes we've seen either quarterback make in some time because it was really a perfect pass. It was the only pass he threw on Saturday. Uh, but what stuck out to me in our passing game, and I don't know when the last time this has happened was, but seven guys for K-State caught footballs on Saturday, including Javaston Taylor, uh, you saw Barnes come out of the backfield and catch a ball. Yeah. Uh, as we talked about, the tight ends catch were catching balls. It was uh, all of a sudden this wide receiving core, this passing game, is looked very dynamic against UTSA. And coming into the season, it was, well, are we going to be able to pass enough to allow what we all thought would be the motor of our offense run things? And now all of a sudden, well, and I don't want to – take too much away from the UTSA game just because it was probably the worst opponent K-State's faced so far. But against UTSA, our passing game looked really efficient and really healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I believe uh, that Skyler is is more than capable of passing quarterback. I, I think that's, I don't think anyone that's watched him play over the last uh, two seasons would agree with that. One thing I do want to see uh, more from K-State is I would like to see Isaiah Harris uh, get a little bit more involved. I think he is one of the few players on our in our wide receiver core that has some, has some great speed. I think the only two players that you can really say that about are him and Zuber. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit more involved, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to him maybe a little bit later here in the show. One thing I did want to uh, touch base on, and, and I guess if there's anything you can – kind of gave a negative mark to it on the offensive side of the ball would be the running game. Uh, you know, not a great game. Of course, when uh, Skylar Thompson runs for 66, uh, 66 yards and is your leading rusher, you'd like to see Alex Barnes get 100 yards in that game, but uh, wasn't to be the case uh, that day. 
I wanted to kind of let I kind of wanted to check something with you real quick, Drew. What what did you see with the running game, uh, especially along the offensive line? Uh, is there something that you know caught your eye there in terms of you know maybe what some weak links are among that line, and do you expect to see any changes on the offensive line? Yeah, uh, to answer your question. Both questions, yes. I, I think that there are weak links on the offensive line, particularly. Uh, I don't think. I don't think uh, Holtorf is getting it done at center at all. I think Beecham is playing poorly too. Uh, caught word this week that Risner is hurt, um, playing through injury again, which uh, is frustrating. But I think something has to be done. I when we put our reserves in on Saturday. Uh, I wanted to keep an eye on Kaltmeyer because he's somebody that I think could step up and get a get a, a starting position on the offensive line. And he was just – I thought he played great in his limited action. I mean, he was ragdolling guys out there. And I think if, if we want to do something, and this is what I've heard uh, put out there, is to put uh, Risner at center uh, – Substitute, Colt or sub putting Kaltmeyer at that tackle position, move Holtorf over to Beecham's guard position, and then give Beecham a nice uh, spot on the bench. But uh, I, at this point, I'm for anything that's uh, a change because clearly there's something wrong with the running game and the run blocking, and I I really think that the problem is on the interior side interior part of the line uh, and shuffling Beecham, uh, Risner, and Holtorf around I think uh, might help. It's something that I don't think hurts to, to talk about. I don't think we're going to see any changes in the starting lineup among the offensive line unless there is injury, uh, which of course you know can happen. It's a physical game. But I, I expect to see that unit. I expect to see the same starting unit uh, out there on Saturday against West Virginia. I do too, uh, but I I wouldn't be shocked if after after reviewing the film and analyzing everything that the coaching staff says something has to be done. These five in these spots aren't getting it done running the ball, and against these smaller Big Twelve defenses that are more built to cover the pass, it's going to be hard to keep relying on Skyler to be as efficient as he was on Saturday to win these games. Yeah, I I think that the offensive line has performed well on uh, pass blocking, pass protection, but you would like to see something more out of them, uh, definitely running the ball. So that's something to keep an eye on as we move forward here. Um, one thing I also wanted to uh, touch base on, this is the last we'll talk of, the offense for the UTSA review, is uh, the quarterback situation. A little bit of a vote of confidence uh, from Coach Snyder, regarding Skylar Thompson as he got the start. Do you think that helped uh, in his performance? Yeah, I think that, I think that was helpful. Uh, I think it was also helpful uh, for his performance to be going up against the UTSA defense um, because several times they were lost out there. But to your point, yeah, I think that in any situation where a quarterback's not sweating, getting the yanked, um, after every mistake, he's willing to take some more chances and have some more confidence. And I thought you saw that on Saturday just with our willingness to stretch the field a little bit more than we had in the first two games. 
Yeah, I think that there's always something to be said once a guy gets a little bit of a vote of confidence and, and then he goes out and performs well. I think Skyler's confidence, he, he's a confident kid. I don't think confidence is ever an issue with him, but any type of added confidence as we get going into conference play, this offense needed. And I thought they got off to a really uh, good good start in gaining some of that confidence, uh, albeit against uh, a defense that no one's going to confuse for uh, the 85 Bears, but a defense that uh, you know we needed to take advantage of, and we certainly did that on Saturday, uh, having success uh, in, in really – uh, not only throwing the ball, but running the ball in some different ways. Not not great running the ball, but uh, with Skylar Thompson breaking some loose on the ground, uh, that gives a uh, gives you know future opponents, especially West Virginia this week, something else to consider uh, when when guarding our offense as we have Skylar Thompson out there uh, that he's a capable runner and, and can and can break off a, a nice run for you. Right, I I agree. What did you see on the defensive side of the ball on Saturday? Defensive side of the ball, I was I was overall pretty well uh, impressed with what I saw. Uh, you know, I I had in my review of UTSA from their game against Baylor, wasn't concerned too much about that unit. Uh, Cordell Grundy, uh, he was you know an ineffective passer. Did did have some nice moments on the ground for him, uh, but you know against an overmatched foe, I didn't really see uh, a ton that you know I can I can come away. Uh, you know, really all that optimistic about, uh, but they performed like they should have. And I think that was what was most, uh, most encouraging. Uh, one guy that stuck out to me was, uh, Eli Walker. Uh, he's going to be getting a lot more run, uh, at the safety position, uh, with, uh, Denzel Goolsby, uh, you know, fighting an injury. It looks like he may be out for a considerable amount of time, as we had mentioned last week. And, and coach Snyder had kind of, uh, confirmed in his, pro- in his, uh, press conferences, uh, after the game, and then heading into the, and uh, in, in heading into the West Virginia game during the midweek, that uh, he's going to be out for some time. Uh, Eli Walker is a guy that he is a, he is a thumper coming downhill. He'll uh, he'll fly with reckless abandon at at uh, at whoever's got the ball. And against West Virginia, I'm a little bit worried that he may think it's a run when it's a, a play-action pass and there may be no one left covering the top and, and get nailed for a big play. But in terms of ability, I don't think it's a huge drop-off between him and Goolsby. I, I think uh, I think he brings a little bit more of a physical component to uh, stopping the run, uh, which will also be uh, of paramount importance against West Virginia Obviously, Will Greer gets a lot of the headlines, but uh, they're they're a very capable team uh, running the football as well. Yeah, that uh, Eli Walker play where he was a heat-seeking missile on what was that? A, was it a reverse or, or or some play where he just there was a little bit of controversy afterwards. Was it targeting? Was it not? But uh, certainly shades of Jared Cooper when you look at uh, Eli Walker, just somebody who's just a complete animal. Uh, coming up and stopping the run, but somebody that gets in pass coverage and he starts sweating a little bit. Yeah, I know last year against Texas Tech is a game I, I remember him uh, coming in that he gave up a couple long touchdown passes. Uh, they they went they were targeting him with uh, with Kiki Cutie. Uh, what what a name too. And he was a was a fine wide receiver for Texas Tech, but West Virginia will know that. You know, Goolsby's the guy that's usually back there. Walker, although a guy that's seen some time, not your number one guy back there. 
I would expect them to uh, to target him throughout the contest on Saturday. So with that being said, uh, not a great team uh, for K-State to play right out of, out of the gate here in conference play uh, with, uh, with West Virginia being one of the most potent offenses in the country. Uh, Going to be a tough task for that defense. Uh, this week won't be won't be as uh, easy as UTSA. No, I agree. I, I think that uh, the UTSA was a nice little tune up for this for both sides of the ball, really. Uh, to gain some confidence more than anything. Yeah, I, get I our. I, I think the team in K State Nation in general uh, was probably feeling pretty uneasy after those first two contests, but um, after Saturday, there's at least. The reassurance that okay, we are a team that can go out and at least dominate a bad team, uh, which we didn't do against South Dakota, and we were the team that got dominated against Mississippi State, and so a reassuring performance against uh, a timely opponent. You know, one other uh, player that I thought stood out uh, was Justin Hughes at the linebacker position, uh, a guy who had left the program in the off season. Uh, then came back, uh, which anytime you could add a guy that's been around for uh, as long as Justin Hughes has, uh, it's always a benefit. Uh, I remember when hearing that he had left the program that a position that we were not all that deep at has just got even even shorter. So having him back uh, was was a nice surprise in the off season, uh, kind of closer to to uh, the time fall camp got started. So that was that was always good news to hear that. He got in a little bit uh, more, uh, especially I noticed on third down, he was subbing in for Sam Sizelove. Some of the more obvious passing downs. Yeah, and getting a little bit more extra speed out there. I would like to see him kind of take over, uh, not just be coming in on third down, but also first and second. Uh, what What did you see from his performance yeah, uh, I thought, on Saturday? I thought he played, I thought he did a good job. Um, like you said, he had some speed at at a position uh, where when size love is in, you just don't quite have that same uh, quickness. And against Big Twelve offenses, and particularly West Virginia, you're gonna you're gonna need that speed because they're gonna spread you out and try to exploit uh, areas where you're not as fast, and they can take advantage of you on the edge with the skill positions. And so having Justin Hughes in there and getting some run and getting some experience early in the season, I think it's great. And I think it's going to, you're going to see him play progressively more as the season uh, moves on. And coach Snyder had mentioned, I believe in his midweek conference press conference that uh, he he was going to be, you know, getting some more run. Also Elijah Sullivan did not play in this game. Uh, He was setting out uh, due to a a presumed injury. He took a, he got off the field twice uh, against, uh, Mississippi State. Well, according to that tweet by the Collegian, he <laughs> he had yeah. a very nice carry. Yeah, the uh, the Collegian <laughs> staff misidentified uh, Dalvin Warmack. They both were number three, so not uh, the craziest thing. But uh, you would you would think that uh, they would read the difference between linebacker and running back. But uh, not the case. M- m- mistakes do happen. Mistakes do happen. But uh, thought that uh, once once we get Elijah Sullivan back. Uh, I think a rotation of Sullivan, uh, Daquan Patton, who's been a, uh, a mainstay at the linebacker position, and then uh, throw in Justin Hughes in there, and I think you have a, a pretty nice-looking uh, linebacker crew in terms of uh, the athleticism that you're putting out there. Definitely, definitely. And, and you think, you start to wonder what they could do with, 
you know, we've been going out of the nickel a lot lately, and you start to wonder, well, I wonder if Neal's not performing as well, whether Hughes could fit into that nickel role or uh, Sullivan could fit into that nickel role. And maybe they have the speed, maybe not, but uh, having those bodies and that athleticism in there can certainly help uh, the defense coordinators have some more personnel decisions and more options. Yeah, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, too, uh, as we're going to wrap up the UTSA review portion of the podcast uh, this week is the defensive line. Uh, you know, not a, a, a performance that really just jumps out at you, but I thought some guys, Wyatt Hubert and Joe Davies, uh, especially to me, uh, pointed out as the guys that performed best from that unit. Uh, Reggie Walker was around the quarterback, and he was active as well. He's always around the quarterback. <laughs> it's well, a matter of whether he could tackle him. Yeah, and that's that's always a frustrating part. Is it seems like I don't know if there's a stack or if there's a stat out there that tracks near miss sacks. I think they but, call that havoc yeah. plays in uh, in well, advanced statistics. Well, we get plenty of those in terms of not wrapping up the quarterback, which is always. Frustrating. You got you get him there, um, and and you just can't bring him down. Uh, Kyle Ball did get record one sack. He recorded the only sack for us that day. Uh, but UTSA, uh, they got a hundred and forty three yards on the ground, three and or a little over three and a half per carry. Uh, pretty good job by that defense. Uh, you know, limiting what UTSA wanted to do. Uh, B.J. Daniels um, only two and. 2.9 yards per carry. He was their leading rusher coming into the game. Uh, kept him pretty well contained throughout the day. Yeah, solid performance. Uh, not eye-popping, but a very steady Saturday for uh, the Lynch Mob. And you know what? I'm ready to I'm ready to say it. They're back, baby. They're back. I'm not. You know what? They're back. After, they're back. After a one-week hiatus, they're back. They've they've the status of the Lynch Mob. Firmly back. Firmly back. In my eyes. Well, also credit to uh, Blake Lynch. Got in there, uh, made a couple field goals. Uh, a guy that's been consistent, uh, only missed this year was from 50-plus yards. So that Lynch Bob was back as well. It, it never left. It, it never left. He's been he's been the most consistent part uh, of this K-State team so far. So uh, a good performance all in all, overall, when you look at everything. I can't come away with anything being too critical of the offense or defense. Um, you know, dominated a team that that you should dominate and have K State fans uh, breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief in terms of of you know, holy cow, are we uh, going to be able to you know squeak by these guys like we did South Dakota? Uh, but a convincing win for K State on Saturday against UTSA. That's right. So as we uh, wrap up the UTSA review portion, uh, next we'll be taking a look as conference play begins. As K-State goes on the road against uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, we'll take a look at, U- or we'll take a look at uh, West Virginia here coming back on the other side of this break on the short side option. We came from the West Virginia coal mines and the Rocky Okay, we are back on the short side option. Uh, as we have finished reviewing UTSA, and as we're looking ahead to uh, the Wildcats game this Saturday against West Virginia, a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN. Uh, here's what you need to know about West Virginia. Uh, they're led by Heisman uh, Trophy frontrunner. Uh, maybe not the frontrunner, but in the mix of the frontrunners now. As in we're, the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, 
couple guys in the Big 12, uh, him and Kyler Murray, uh, both uh, right there as as leading candidates for the Heisman Trophy. Well, and Puka Williams. Ah, a little too early. A little too <laughs> early for that. A little too early for that. Watch out. But uh, yet, he has been playing well for KU. But as, as we look here at West Virginia, uh, Will Greer, a guy that's going to be, shoot, probably a first-round draft pick uh, here as the – if you're an NFL draft follower, a guy that's you know well thought of, uh, started off his career at uh, the University of Florida. Think they miss him? They certainly do. There's no question about that. I, Jim McElwain would still have a job if if uh, if Will Greer he had got uh, popped for uh, PED use and uh, got suspended from Florida, ended up transferring to West Virginia, and uh, has has done nothing but good things since he's got to Morgantown. Uh, this year he's thrown nine touchdowns to one interception, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, definitely one of the uh, leading candidates for the Heisman Trophy at this point in time. Uh, West Virginia likes to be balanced, though. This isn't necessarily the Geno Smith, uh, Stedman Bailey, Tavon Austin uh, kind of offense where they're where they're going to be chucking the ball all day long. They're going to chuck the ball. There's no question about that. But they also uh, have a little bit of balance, which I'll, I'll get to here in a little bit. Uh, but the, the, their three best wide receivers are David Sills, the fifth, uh, Gary Jennings, and Marcus Sims, all guys that are explosive playmakers. David Sills, I believe, led the NCAA in touchdown receptions last year. So a guy that uh, definitely led the Big 12. I believe he led the nation in, in uh, touchdown receptions last year. So uh, Will Greer knows how to uh, to find David Sills, especially down the red zone. I remember last year he had one of the most uh, miraculous catches I saw against K-State uh, in that north end zone where I thought there was absolutely no chance he was able to stay in bounds. But after review uh, and seeing the replays, it, it was indeed a catch. So a very talented wide receiver. Uh, going back to the running game, a very capable running game. They have three backs uh, who average over six yards a carry. Uh, Letty Brown, Martel Petway, and Kennedy McCoy are, are those three individuals. So a, a really a balanced offense. And as of right now, uh, you could say that they, uh, outside of Oklahoma, I think right now, are the, uh, the, been the most impressive team so far in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I, they, granted, they've only played two games, and one of them was against Youngstown State. The other was, of course, against uh, Tennessee Volunteers team that – was instituting a new system. Yeah, rebuilding there for Tennessee. That that game was, you know, pretty impressive though from the West Virginia perspective. But uh, this isn't a, the team. Martin's not walking through that door for Tennessee at this no, point. No, Peyton Manning ain't coming through there. But no. uh, so from the limited amount of data points we've seen from West Virginia, they've done what they've been advertised. Uh, like you said, on offense, they have a big veteran offensive line. Now, granted, they did lose Justin Crawford. Um, who was a back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher for him. He's now with uh, the Atlanta Falcons, of course. But like you mentioned, they have a three-headed monster at running back, and uh, they're going to be there. But they their system is it's a little different from the Geno Smith days, but they're still passing to open up the run. Um, and why wouldn't you if you have Greer? Uh, because he's very impressive. Uh you know, he got hurt last year, but uh, when he was in, that's who the offense ran through. And we saw we saw that all last year, and we saw that in the first two games of this year. And so the key 
for Kansas State, at least on defense, is going to be the pass. Yes, of course. I mean, I think this is a game where K-State has had some success, though, against West Virginia, not giving up um, not giving up a ton of points, really. Uh, they've, they've kept West Virginia you know, in check through the air in a lot of these games. Last year was a game uh, I personally felt K-State should have won uh, some – some boneheaded turnovers, uh, and then a complete defensive lapse to end the first half really put K-State behind the eight ball in that game. We're just going to ignore why the defense was even on the field before the end of the half? Well, as I said, a lapse in, a lapse in a, play a call. A boneheaded turnover. A boneheaded turnover, lapse in, whether it's bad play call, bad execution, whatever you want to say, is Skylar Thompson uh, on a, a bot screen pass uh, through an interception to a West Virginia defensive lineman that set up on a play that shouldn't have ever been called. But we're getting into the to the demo debate here, which maybe we should just let sleeping dogs lie. But uh, regardless, I agree that but that was under defensive uh, a different defensive coordinator. Sure. And uh, I'll be interested to see whether or not we continue to see the the very packages that we've seen in the first three games for K-State, whether we see a lot of blitz come out against Greer like we've put on film, or whether we choose to sit back and kind of revert to that bend-but-don't-break that's had some success against West Virginia in the past. Yeah, I I think that'll be something definitely to monitor, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit more uh, here in just a minute. Uh, Touching base on their defense, uh, they run out of the 3-3-5, which is a a unique defensive formation, something you don't see a ton in the Big 12. I uh, believe the only team that, that is going to be running that here in the Big 12. Uh, but I was very impressed in what I saw. I went through and watched their game against Tennessee, and I was very impressed by their defensive line. A couple names that stuck out to me are Darius Sills and Kenny Bigelow Jr., uh, a guy that uh, – Bigelow being a transfer from uh, Southern Cal – a guy that was very disruptive as they uh, they were living in the Tennessee backfield uh, early and often. They've also got uh, playmakers uh, at the linebacker position with David Long Jr. and uh, at at the safety position with Drayvon Askew Henry. Uh, two guys that uh, that are very talented players, both uh, you know solid guys at taking the ball away. Uh, Askew Henry's got an interception already on the season, and David Long's their leading tackler. So. Uh, two guys that uh, I would expect to, you know, see highlighted during the broadcast, and and guys that'll be making plays uh, throughout the afternoon for West Virginia on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, what strikes me on West Virginia's defense, like you mentioned, is their defensive line. You said they were living in the Tennessee backfield, and they really were. They had seven and a half uh, tackles for a loss against Tennessee as a unit, which dwarfs any. Uh, game by K-State this year. That's one thing K-State's defensive uh, front seven has really lacked is getting into the backfield and making plays. Uh, But in terms of the second and third layers for West Virginia, I I think that's where they're going to have some problems. I I think that they're athletic and uh, fast, but they're pretty small. This is a defense that you can see is meant to stop Big 12 offenses in terms of speed and athleticism, but not so much brawn. And so I think that uh, they're going to be tested by teams that come out 
and hit them with a bunch of power sets. Uh, and I think coming into the year, I would have loved this matchup for K-State because I would have said, let's run the ball 40 times uh, and just punch them in the mouth because I think they'd be vulnerable for that. Uh, but now I'm not so sure after three K-State games. I'm not so sure that AR line is capable of doing that. And this week I'm not sure our coordinators game planning are going to have enough faith in the line to come out and put a lot of emphasis on the power run game. So uh, as we kind of wrap up our West Virginia, a look at West Virginia and see kind of what they're all about, let's transition this now until uh, what does K-State have to do on the offensive side of the ball to be effective uh, against West Virginia. My first question to you, uh, D. Lou, here is, as I agree with you. I think this is a game that it, it would best serve K-State to really be effective running the ball. I think any game you can say that. But uh, with Skylar Thompson having taken, let's call it a stranglehold on the quarterback position. I think he's really the unquestioned starter now. I don't think anyone can make that argument that Delton should be starting over him uh, based upon what we've seen through three games so far. However, in this situation with a high-powered offense on the other side of the field, do you see you know, any use for Delton in this game as a, as a change of pace, as someone that we can – uh, have a couple packages for it to, to gain some success on the ground. Yeah, I do. I think it makes a lot of sense to have Delton uh, get some looks to this game, and I know that that's not going to be a super popular opinion, but I think given the opponent and given their weaknesses, uh, which I mentioned, uh, I think, or in their tackling, in their, uh, especially against power sets, that I think that they are vulnerable there. And in that respect, I think having Delton uh, running the ball would make a lot of sense. Now, given the, his performance during the first three games, I'm not sure I trust him to be able to do that well enough, especially if they start really cheating on the run. But I, I do think it makes sense to see Delton in the game, even if Skyler isn't having an abnormal struggle of a game. So don't be shocked if you see Delton get a series or two or three um, against West Virginia just because I think that it'll be successful. Assuming, of course, that he doesn't make insane throws or fumble, by the way, which he did again on Saturday against Mm -hmm. UTSA. So as we kind of transition here uh, to some other parts uh, of what the offensive game plan should look like, in terms of the passing game, uh, what what do you see there for K-State? What, what opportunities do you think uh, are going to be available in the passing game for, for the Wildcats in this one? You know, I, I don't think that West Virginia is all that vulnerable to the pass. Now, I, I think that's what K-State's done so far this year. It's the only thing we've really done well is pass it. So I think that it makes sense for us to – try to continue to do that. Why get away from what you're good at? But I, I don't look at West Virginia's defense as an opportunity for Skylar Thompson to really showcase his arm because I think, like I mentioned, that West Virginia's defense is really built both schematically and personnel-wise to stop these passing attacks that K-State's shown that it's pretty good at. You know, one thing, I think... If 
if you're a K-State fan and you're thinking about what the recipe is to beat West Virginia, I would have it look a little bit like this. I'd have it look a little bit like the Oklahoma State game last year against uh, against the Cowboys in Stillwater. I think if we're able to establish running the ball with both Thompson and Barnes or Selman or Warmack or whoever's back there as the running back, and the offensive line's being able to average you know four yards a carry, and we're you know getting some chunk plays in there as well, that uh, that the use for Dalton probably isn't there as much. And not only are we able to, to get those four yards of carry and, and get some big runs, but we also have uh, Skylar Thompson who you know throws one of the prettiest deep balls uh, I've seen from, from a long time from a K-State quarterback and is a guy that uh, we could hurt him downfield passing the ball off play action. I think that's the best recipe for K-State to, to get some points on the board uh, from an offensive standpoint. But in order for that to happen, the offensive line has to play well, which you know, I would say by any K-State's fans' estimation, I think by any of the members of the coaching staff estimation, and you know, assuredly the offensive line's own estimation, they haven't really shown so far this season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. If we can run the ball effectively without relying too much on the quarterback position to do it, then that is where it starts. It's to set up the play action, you have to have something for the defense to buy into. Sure. And sure. so if, if we can all of a sudden turn this running game on and start to average, if we get something like 50 or 60 yards rushing in the first quarter or something, then that's great. Then let Skyler, if Skyler can do that and establish that, and leave them vulnerable to play action and stretching the field, then that's phenomenal. I agree with you that 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 has to be what happens because I don't think we can take any shortcuts on Saturday where we just come out throwing the ball all over the yard because we don't have enough faith in our running game. So look look for that. If, if we can get the running game established and working in the first quarter against that 3-3-5 defense, then there's definitely ground to be made through the air. But I... I would be shocked if we came out throwing 55, 60% of the time and had a bunch of success with it early in the game. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think, uh, I think there is something to be said. It will be interesting to see how this new offensive, uh, offensive coordinator uh, with Andre Coleman, uh, Charlie Dickey, and Colin Klein attack this West Virginia defense, uh, whether it's to run to set up the pass or to pass to set up the run. Of course, the defense will dictate a little bit of that. And one thing I wanted to to uh, to make mention of is uh, West Virginia's three three five defense. I know I touched on that briefly, uh, but for those uh, that are listening that may not know what a three three five defense, it's typically just, it's just the alignment uh, of the the defensive formation: uh, three down linemen, uh, three linebackers, and five uh, secondary players, defensive backs. It's an interesting uh, formation as it's not one that you see any other team in the Big 12 run out of as a base set. Does Alabama run out of that as a base set, or do they do the 3-4? I think they pretty well go out of the 3-4. Uh, I don't watch a, a ton of Alabama football. Uh, they're usually blowing people out by 35 points uh, by by halftime, but they, they typically run out of the, the – uh, the the 3-4 I believe that I know they used to I, I know they've undergone some changes on the defensive 
uh, coordinator staff, but you know it's they've got so much talent they could they could run out of about any set. I think they'd be just fine. Yeah. Uh, the one thing about the three three five, it does allow uh, some blitzes to come from some some exotic locations. You can over overload a certain side, bring people from there. So it'll be interesting to see how West Virginia uh, uses that that formation and in, in how they attack the K State offense. Whether they're they're blitzing, but if they can stop uh, K State's running game just with their front six, typically you hear you hear people say front seven, but in their case, a front six. Uh, could be a front seven if they if they sneak a defensive back down there a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, uh, but I would expect them to get after Skylar Thompson. I would expect them to be bringing some heat uh, to try to slow down that running game immediately and, and make K State one dimensional. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. If I was West Virginia's defensive coordinator, that's what I would do because then you have guys there to stop the run. And you also have guys there to get in Thompson's face if he does drop back and pass. But that's where play action can come through, and especially some of those quick hitters that K-State typically likes to run, at least to the outside, some of those uh, quick hitches. So that kind of covers it for what uh, we expect. Uh, as kind of the, the main bullet points here for the K-State offense on Saturday. Let's transition now to really probably the more pressing concern uh, if you're a K-State fan is how does K-State slow down uh, the vaunted West Virginia attack led by Will Greer? Well, I kind of like this matchup, actually, for K-State. Uh, I'd be more concerned... Well, let me put it this way. We've seen what K-State does against a powerful, run-dominant team like Mississippi State, and it ain't pretty. No, And so not. we haven't Kyle really... Hill's still running. Yeah, exactly. We haven't really seen what this defense does against... Uh, a pass-heavy team like West Virginia. And right now, I don't know about you, uh, Icon, but I have more faith in our secondary than I thought I would be coming into the season. Um, and I have more faith in our secondary than I do with our front seven. And so I kind of like K-State's secondary, uh, or K-State's defense in this matchup. I, I think West Virginia's going to get their yards and get their points just because... They're very good at passing the ball. But I'd rather, at this point in the season, I'd rather see us go up against a pass-heavy team than a team that's going to run the ball all day long like Mississippi State did. One thing I would, I would definitely agree with you that the defensive backs have been, have been surprising. Uh, it, it's an area that I was a little bit concerned about coming into the season. However, we have had some injuries with Goolsby, uh, you know, as we had mentioned earlier, uh, suffering an injury and and being unavailable for this one, it appears. What do you see, uh, I guess, for stopping the run? We mentioned that West Virginia is capable of running the ball, too. Is this a little bit of a, of a team that can do both, in your opinion? I, I think that it, it's, they're so balanced. I think if one's not quite working, uh, they can have success you know, with the other, whether it's passing or running. Yeah, to a degree. I mean... Ignoring the Youngstown State game, because I have more faith in K-State's defense than I do Youngstown, I think a better comparison is probably Tennessee. They, they ran the ball, but they only ran it for 118 yards on 27 carries, which isn't nothing, but it certainly wasn't what made them go against Tennessee. Uh, you saw Greer pass for 430 yards against the Vols' defense. And so, if it's up to... 
Holgerson, he's gonna air it out, I think. And uh, and his best weapon, of course, is Will Greer and the receivers. And so they're they're balanced, but only nominally balanced in my mind because what they're gonna run it enough to keep you honest, but the principal concern is their passing attack. Yeah, and one thing I want to get into here. <clears throat> As we uh, as we look at this this matchup for K State on defense, is something we alluded to a little bit early on with how we're going to mix looks on the on the offensive side of the ball for West Virginia. Uh, K State's had had been blitzing more, as we mentioned. Do you think a more aggressive approach or more of the reverting back to the Tom Hayes stuff, where it's you know bend but don't break, uh, you know let you get your yards between the twenties and then tighten up inside the red zone? Is that going to be the better play, or uh, would you like to see K-State uh, heat up Will Greer and get after him a little bit, bring in some different blitzes? I'd like to see K-State mix it up a lot early on. Um, if you could pressure Greer and get some hits on him and test how comfortable he is in the pocket uh, early in the game, then do it. Because I don't know how much pressure he's been subject to, especially with the injury last year and how ready he is to face an aggressive defense. It's going to hit him a lot. And so get, get back in the backfield. If the defense, if the secondary is holding its weight with the fewer guys devoted to coverage, then by all means, keep doing it. But I would be really disappointed to see us revert back and sit on our haunches between the twenties like we've done in the past. And so look for K-State, in my opinion, to come out, be aggressive, do the things we saw K-State do in the first three weeks, and really see what Greer's made of and see whether he's comfortable with it. And if it doesn't work, then by all means, revert back and make him fight, make him complete every pass he has to to be moving those chains. But uh, I'd like to see us come out and be aggressive. You know, one thing about Will Greer that I've, uh, in watching his career, one thing that I've noticed about him is this is a guy that is always looking to make the big play, always looking to go downfield. Uh, I'm going to reference back to the uh, end of the first half last year against Kansas State Manhattan. Uh, after getting a, getting a turnover on K-State's side of the field, there was about, oh, 10 to 12 seconds left. You expected West Virginia to try to get a little bit closer to attempt a field goal as we go into, go into halftime. And, I would think that that was what the play call was, uh, but Will Greer, um, you know, turns field, uh, you know, escapes out of the pocket, uh, you know, runs backwards for a ways. Before uh, at this point, I was excited because there would be no, there was no time left on the clock. This was going to be the final play. All K State simply had to do was knock it down to keep West Virginia off the board uh, to close out the first half. Uh, but he was able to find a a wide-open Mountaineer in the end zone for a touchdown that really gave uh, West Virginia a ton of momentum heading into halftime, and they never relinquished that lead uh, in the second half uh, despite, uh, despite some different chances by K-State to, to cut into that. I think that's, that's what makes him such a dangerous player, but it also can provide uh, for some mistakes, obviously. Anytime you're you know, throwing the ball downfield uh, you know, under pressure, you can, you can short on the ball and, and get an interception. I think the biggest thing that K-State's going to have to do on Saturday for them to have a chance is to be positive in the turnover battle. Uh, 
and K-State hasn't really forced many turnovers this year. It's been a, uh, I know we recovered a fumble last week and of course intercepted Nick Fitzgerald uh, the week before, but it's been a unit really that hasn't turned, had a, had a lot of success turning other teams over so far uh, to this point. No, and that, but turnovers are weird. I mean, they they vary. All the stat geeks don't put a ton of faith into turnovers because it's, there's a lot of variables that go into it, and I, I think there's something to be said for a particularly ball-hawking defense, but but I agree with you. I, I think that it, that if we are, I'll call it, lucky enough to be positive in the turnovers on Saturday, then I think that that is something we're definitely going to have to take advantage of if we want to win. But uh, And I do think that the best chance of getting turnovers is by being more aggressive especially with a senior, a veteran guy like Will Greer, who's who, who's into making the big play, but not super prone to mistakes, especially in his, uh, in his senior year. Well, we've kind of covered the, the highlights here for both West Virginia offensively and defensively in terms of what K-State's going to have to do to slow down uh, the Mountaineers and, and what K-State needs to do when uh, they're on offense and on defense. Let's go ahead and make some predictions here on uh, on this game. Uh, Drew, we'll start with you. Chris, I think uh, I think the defense is is going to do okay, uh, relatively speaking. I think we're we're going to hold Tennessee to, or I'm sorry, West Virginia to their season low so far. Uh, but I don't think that the offense is is quite far along enough yet to really take advantage of the defense in the way that uh, we discussed. I see, uh, I see K-State dropping this one to the Mountaineers, uh, but covering. Closer than the experts think, but just barely. I see uh, West Virginia winning 35-27. 35-27, so a single-possession game. Yeah, but I, I don't think this one's – I don't envision this being a uh, – A nail-biter a, down a, the wire. A super big nail-biter. I, I think I – think West Virginia has a fairly comfortable fourth quarter. Uh, the spread on this game is currently West Virginia is favored by 16 points. Uh, wow, that has gone up. That's gone up. It, it started around 14 and a half, gone up to 16 and a half. I believe earlier in the week it was as high as 17 and a half. So uh, maybe some, maybe some uh, betters out in Las Vegas, uh, you know, taking the cats in this one. But I, I agree with you. I think West Virginia just has too much firepower for this K State defense and and the. Wildcat offense isn't going to do enough to pull their own weight. Uh, I was hot last week, only missing the score by a measly one point. Uh, in this game, I'm going to go West Virginia 38. I'm going to go K-State 20. I don't, I don't see the Cats covering this. Ah, too bad. But you know what? This, doesn't this game just have the feel of one of those games where K-State's going in not expecting to win, not super positive about our chances where almost like Oklahoma State last year we just pull something we pull a rabbit out of our hat and just surprise you you know I I do think there is something to be said just because of the series history uh with K-State and West Virginia they've been tight games uh K-State has seemed to have uh has seemed to have a, a little bit of a blueprint in how to slow down West Virginia and get them in, a, in an uncomfortable game West Virginia won in 2016 uh by 1.17 to 16 uh, a close game in 2017, as we detailed, and then in in 2018, uh, we'll see what happens. That's right. Uh, but I I think uh, th- this game will be 
will be close, but I think just West Virginia, I think it will be close going into halftime, and then I think West Virginia will kind of pull away, get comfortable at home, and uh, I think the Mountaineers are going to be singing uh, Country Roads Take Me Home uh, after, after a nice victory against K-State. Tragic. Tragedy. Well, you know what? We're going to be back. You know what? That's not a tragedy. Is we're going to be back for another segment where we are going to highlight a Wildcat legend as well as answer your questions here, the listener, on Ask the Icon coming back here on the other side on the short side option. Welcome back to the short side option where we are getting ready to present to you this week's Wildcat legend. Chris, this week's Wildcat legend is a strong safety out of St. Louis, Missouri. He is number 14. He is Milton Proctor. And Milton Proctor, man, number 14, good strong safety for K-State. Played on some great defenses, I believe. Uh, he was on those defenses from 98 to 2001. Actually started, uh, well, I don't know if he started, but he played in all 12 games as a true freshman. How about that? That's pretty impressive. You don't see that very often at K-State anymore. No, I mean, as as I think back on his numbers without the help of any, uh, resources, he, uh, he's probably one of the most prolific K-Staters, uh, of all time, because he played in 12 games in 98, 11 in 99, 13 in 2000, because remember he had the Big 12 championship game that year. Of course, who could forget? And then 11 in his senior season uh, in 2001. So that's that's a guy who's been who's seen a lot of snaps at K State. Well, I mean that's why he's a Wildcat legend first and foremost. Absolutely, I mean, just a model of consistency. Model of consistency. I mean the Cal Ripken Jr. Of Kansas State. Wow. I had never thought of it that way, Drew, but you know, that's why we have this segment because even I learn things. Well, I've long considered him to be K State's Cal Ripken Jr. and uh, just an Iron Man. Uh, anything stick out for you for Milton Proctor? You know, Drew, I'm glad you asked. There's one game, it was in 1999 against Utah State. Oh, absolutely. I know, and I know where you're going with this. He intercepted a, a pass by uh, the Aggies quarterback. Do you return- what was his name again? Oh, uh, I, I don't quite recall. We'll, we'll get on the I think it was Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was Doug. Uh, but uh, Milton Proctor uh, took it the other way for six points on a, on a day that K-State won 40 to nothing over the Utah State Aggies. Uh, you know, Milton Proctor, uh, as, as we, uh, as we had, you know, remembered as we were reminiscing on his career, an interception every year he played. Wow. That's crazy, man. Like I said, just a model of consistency. Only one interception each year, finishing out with four uh, interceptions in his career. Uh, two of those returned for touchdowns. Wow, that's insane. Well, and of course, Milton Proctor, famous for his uh, baseball and basketball card collection. Uh, the prize uh, card uh, for him was a Nolan Ryan card. Oh, uh, that he okay. Got, that he traded for when he was a child. Man, I w- now I wonder which... You know Nolan Ryan. Uh, what jersey Nolan Ryan was wearing? I would assume if it's going to be the most valuable card, it's got to be that Texas Ranger, uh, or maybe it was a Houston Astros. I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's, that's a that's a question for Milton. Yeah, I mean, uh, I encourage our fans to take to Twitter and ask Milton. Um, 
how that how that card collection's going right now? Whether he sold it off or uh, or whether he's kept it, and the value's probably just skyrocket. It's gone through the roof. Yeah. But uh, anything else on Milton? You know, I think we've said it all about Milton Proctor. Uh, no doubt, uh, a Wildcat legend, and someone we are very glad to highlight on on this week's edition of Wildcat Legends. So we'll move into our next and final segment here on the short side option uh, in the segment we like to call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit questions to the short side option via Twitter uh, and ask the icon, Chris Sork himself, uh, questions about Kansas State or football in general. And we'll get right into it. Our first uh, question for the icon comes from listener Sarah, a.k.a. Big Dog and Madison. The Big Dog asks, The KC Star wrote an article this week that attributed a big portion of the offense's success to Andre Coleman moving from the press box to on the field during the game. Do you buy this argument? If not, do you attribute the success... What do you attribute the success to instead? Well, thank you for the uh, the question there, Sarah. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely a topic that uh, deserves some deserves some conversation. I think most of the I think there there is something to be said for uh, Coleman moving down to the field. He that's where he's used to being uh, as a wide receivers coach, uh, and as that article written by uh, Kellis Robinette. Had, had mentioned he is most comfortable down the field as a wide receivers coach. That's where he spent his time. Uh, Colin Kleins uh, was up in the booth, is what that article had mentioned, too, where he kind of gets the grand scheme of things, the big picture from, uh, from upstairs. I think that it does have some impact. I think that you know both Coleman and Klein are more comfortable, and you would equate being more comfortable with being more effective in those positions. So I think that it's it, it's not nothing, but I think the biggest part of K-State's success uh, last Saturday against UTSA was just going against uh, a little bit weaker of a defense uh, with the Roadrunners. Not a great defensive team. Baylor was able to you know, really uh, move the ball through them uh, in the air, and K-State had some similar success uh, going through the air against the Roadrunners last Saturday. What, what do you have to say? I agree. I, I think that it makes sense uh, that Klein is uh, is more inclined uh, to be up in the box Ooh, because that's what you did there. Yeah, it's it's a great it's it's certainly easier to operate schematically when you have an entire view of the field, and I think that's probably a role he feels more comfortable in. But we'll get on to uh, our next question for the icon. This uh, question comes from listener Stephen. Uh, aka at Godlewski22 on Twitter. Chris asks, or I'm sorry, Stephen asks the icon, the last four games between KSU and West Virginia have all been one possession games. What's the biggest factor for K-State to keep this game close and have a chance to win in the fourth quarter? Well, that's a great question, Stephen, and thank you so much uh, for, for submitting that via Twitter. I think there, I'll give you two uh, of the biggest things. If K-State's going to, keep this game close and have a, have a chance to win going into the fourth quarter. Now, while I have K-State losing uh, you know, in this game 38-20, to 20, I do think K-State does absolutely have a chance to keep this game very close. I wouldn't say I'm all that confident in, in that K-State won't cover the spread. I do think that you know, the, the chance for a late touchdown here to, to get under the number, get a little backdoor cover, uh, is definitely there. But if K-State's going to – uh, you know, have this game be competitive and uh, have a chance to win this game, 
I, I point to two things. I point to one, having a positive turnover uh, battle and then the turnover ratio. If K-State's plus two, they, they have an excellent chance to win this game. The other thing I would mention, too, is if we're able to limit West Virginia's efficiency in the red zone. If they're able to, I won't even necessarily say the red zone. I'll say within the 35-yard line. Uh, if we're able to uh, keep them out of the end zone where they're settling for field goals, or you know, just not necessarily every time they get in the in the in the score in the scoring range, whether it's the inside the 35. That's kind of what some people view as the new as the new red zone, the 20s. You know, with teams like West Virginia who they may rather be at the 35 yard line, give them a little bit more room than inside the inside the 20. Yeah, I know Connolly, Bill Connolly, who we've referenced on this podcast before. I think he measures it from the 40. The 40, okay. So it's it's one of those things. I think if K State is able to to make West Virginia kick field goals, uh, to make them, you know, not being able to just you know put seven up every time they get in the red zone, that's huge, and that's there's no there's no doubt about that. But that's the two points I think uh, that K State, if they're going to have success in this game, that's where it's going to be at. That's why I kind of my hand kind of leans more towards the bend but don't break uh, type stuff, except when you get into that area. Then that's when I think you kind of ramp it up a little bit, take some chances, take some chances, and uh, and see what uh, see what West Virginia can do. Uh, what, what say you? I'm gonna go with the cliche answer and say that. Uh, if K State can find a way to make a difference in special teams, special teams, and that special teams got to be special. I I completely agree with you. And in these games uh, against teams that have you know a lot of firepower and, and you know are you know more talented than K State, you don't just have to win special teams. You kind of have to dominate it. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see K State get a nice. They've had a lot of success against West Virginia. It seems like over the years. Uh, Morgan Burns returning a touchdown that essentially won K-State the game in 2015 uh, against uh, West Virginia, which got K-State bowl eligible in that game. Uh, he, he returned a long one for a touchdown uh, that proved to be you know crucial to the, to the final score. I believe it was the game-winning score um, offhand. So special teams have to be great. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, right. I agree. And so uh, moving on to our next question. Oh, by the way, before we do... How about that uh, nifty little uh, punt return that we saw on Saturday about uh, North Texas? And- no, 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 oh, not. The North I thought Texas that's where play. you were going. No, it's not. I thought that's where you were going. I thought we were going off the wall here. I'm talking about. I forget who it was, whether it was Shelley or Zuber, but it was it was one of them where they faked like they were gonna catch field the punt on the west side of the field, and then the other one it, it was, was actually going was. to the yeah. east side of the field. And so having two uh, two guys back there, just kudos, kudos, Sean, because that was uh, that was pretty interesting and something I haven't seen that much. Well, and I'm gonna go a step further here. I do want to mention about that uh, North Texas return that where. And if you're not familiar with with the situation here, uh, West Virginia player, uh, or excuse me, West Virginia North Texas player, uh, Arkansas is punting to North Texas. Uh, North Texas player does not call for a fair catch, simply catches the ball and stays still as if he did call a fair catch. Uh, the Arkansas players peel off, 
allows uh, the North Texas player to go all the way for a touchdown there. There's been some talk uh, that that type of action uh, could be banned. It should be, um, because I think it's incredibly dangerous, sets a very bad precedent, and I think it's an unsportsmanlike and immoral call by Seth Luttrell. Shame on you, Seth Luttrell. That's very dangerous, and it's, it's bad for business of college football. Wow, you're going after Seth Luttrell here. Yeah, I think it's I think it's bad news. I think it's I, I think it has no place in the game to be tricking those poor gunners who are basically taking the punt returner at his word because they can't see. Him yeah, call well, a while fair you're catch. getting while you're getting blocked, you know, shoved out of bounds, you know, typically on, you know, if you're near the sideline, of course, on, on your side of the field. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going on there for the Gunners, and that, that has to be one of the toughest jobs at, on the football field. Well, and I have an idea. I, I've thought about this. How can they stop? How can they give a signal to these Gunners? Give the officials air horns on any kick. So it's not, it's thinking, not a whistle. I was just, thinking just a whistle would be fine, but I, I, I like the air horn idea. No, I want it to sound like it's adult swim at the swimming pool. And uh, let... Just give them a big, different audio, auditory signal uh, to let people know, hey, he's called a fair catch. It's genius. It's, it's the solution. Drew, I think you might be onto something. I, I, I thought about this because that play really bothered me from the moment I saw it. Well, that, that's well thought out. That's, I, think, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Thank you. Give, give the umpire an, uh, an air horn and, and let him blow it if he sees the return man signal for a fair catch. But we'll move on and get to uh, listener Ben Ben Trin at Ben Trin, who uh, goes by the Scotty Pippin of parenting. Uh, listener Ben Trin says, "Icon, thanks for breaking down the tape. What do you think will be a new wrinkle we'll see out of the K State O this week?" Great question. Great question. Uh, I, I love breaking down the tape. I love uh, seeing what our opponents are doing and ha- how they've been looking all season. You live for that. I live. I live for it. That's you know you, you don't become the icon by not by not living for the film. But uh, to answer uh, Ben Trent's question, I think I think screens uh, mixed in some screen game. You know that's been a I you know you think back to. Um, to you know, Quincy Morgan in the days of 1999 and, and 2000 on the jailbreak screen. Aaron Lockett. Aaron Lockett. I mean, there was there was a lot of success that K-State had in the spring game. Of course, Darren Sproles, who could forget the 2003, uh, you know, iconic play uh, from iconic. from uh, from uh, the Big 12 championship game. But he may score. You have to uh, you have to be you have to be diverse in, in your offense, especially against such an aggressive defense like West Virginia uh, presents. So. Use that aggressiveness of the West Virginia defense, uh, you know, against them here by by mixing in some screens, mixing in some draws. Uh, I think you'll, I mean, I think you'll see a lot of the quarterback run. I think maybe the quarterback draw is something we'll see, you know, quite a bit. I don't know if that's really necessarily a wrinkle. Oh, that's, that's a, new, a new wrinkle. That's the quarterback seems, run game. The quarterback run game has been a long staple, but I I expect us to see screens and draws, whether it's halfback draws, uh, you know, quarterback draws. Uh, quarterback draws wouldn't constitute a, anything new in terms of what we do offensively, but I think screens and draws are going to play would play a big part in in slowing down uh, that aggressive West Virginia defense. Well, and I and I think that might lead you into your next answer for the next ask the icon listener Chase at co more eight on Twitter. He asks. 
Thoughts on getting the electric Isaiah Harris more touches in open space and the impact it could make on Saturday. Do you see him being potentially one of the targets for the screen passes you mentioned? You know, I don't really see him as a as a target for a screen pass per se, but I would like to see him, uh, you know, be utilized in maybe a little bit more of a jet sweep type uh, type motion. Whether it's even, and it doesn't have to be anything, you know, too too crazy, but just have his speed coming across on whether you know it's a fake give or it's a you know a read by. Uh, whoever the quarterback is at, the, at this point in time, whether it's Thompson or Dalton, and just letting that defense, you know, flow a little bit with uh, with Harris, because in in terms of quickness and speed, I would say he's the only wide receiver uh, outside of um, Isaiah Zuber that really has uh, plus quickness and plus speed. So I I would love to see him get a little bit more involved. I'd like to see him be utilized, but if it's utilizing him as just as just kind of a bit of a decoy uh, to open up, whether it's Barnes or or Thompson or Delton running the ball. I think that's something you could see a little bit of. But you know, in terms of in terms of what he would be used at, I think the most uh, likely uh, most likely utilization for him is going to be uh, the bubble screens uh, and stuff like that. Where we've got Shone and Reuter and, and Zuber out blocking for him as he tries to kind of jitterbug his way around there. Because in terms of speed and quickness, I think he's only second to uh, Isaiah Zuber on, on this receiving core. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, as you mentioned, using him in kind of a role is, is, is a possible target on run pass options where you have the read action inside and then have the option of him. Uh, out on the edge is a potential target. And you actually, for the first time, I believe this year, you saw us run that play where the quarterback is running sort of off tackle, but in a position where he can throw it outside. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, Um, absolutely. And I think he's a target that can make a lot of sense for that just because, like you said, he's he's a dynamic playmaker and somebody that really one of the few electric guys that we have on, on our team and especially our offense. Yep, I agree. I would love to see him have a little bit more expansive role in terms of in terms of uh, what we're doing offensively, but uh, time will tell to see if that if that comes in. But I think there's definitely a place uh, for him, not maybe necessarily just in this game, but in future games uh, where he has uh, that ability. Uh, that'll do it here for this edition of the short side option. We'll be back next week uh, to review uh, the game against West Virginia. Hopefully a K-State win. Uh, neither of us are predicting such, but it would not surprise me to see K-State uh, you know, give them a, a firm test and this be a game going in the fourth quarter. Uh, for, uh, for Drew Lewis, I'm Chris Sort. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to having you back next week where we'll have a special guest uh, join the podcast to take a look at our upcoming opponent, the Texas Longhorns. We look forward to seeing you on next week's Short Side Option.